policies almost seemed superfluous. What mattered was that he was a Kennedy, that he seemed so much like his brother and looks and ideals and Boston accent, that his candidacy promised the resumption of a violently truncated American public romance. Indiana was Robert Kennedy's first primary campaign. April 4th was one of his first full days on the stump. He began with a rally at the University of Notre Dame, then another at Ball State. He spoke about race and poverty at both schools. At Ball State, he was confronted by a black student who was skeptical about white America's willingness to address those issues. I think the vast majority of white people want to do the decent thing, Kennedy said. Afterward, at the Muncie Airport, word came that King had been shot. That was all the information we had, Frank Mankiewicz, Kennedy's press secretary, later recalled. There were no cell phones in those days, no way to find out more while we were in the air to Indianapolis. But I remember that Bob's eyes went vacant when he heard the news. He became very quiet and withdrawn, which was not unusual for him. We talked a bit about what he should say in Indianapolis. I suggested that he ask everyone to say a prayer for the King family, also that he remind them of King's nonviolence and plead with them not to retaliate. He told me that sounded good, that I should write it up. Apparently, Kennedy was still thinking about what he'd said to the black student at Ball State. You know, it grieves me, he said to John J. Lindsay of Newsweek on the short flight to Indianapolis. I just told that kid this and then walk out and find some white man has just shot their spiritual leader. And then, in Indianapolis, word that King was dead. Lindsay saw Kennedy recoil at the news, as if he'd been struck physically. Kennedy got into a car with Fred Dutton, a campaign strategist. What should I tell them, Fred? he asked. Dutton didn't know what to say. Kennedy was staring out the window a million miles away. Finally, Dutton told him, You know what to say, Bob. Just speak from your heart. Knowing that the advice was banal, but sensing that's what Kennedy was going to do anyway. Mankiewicz was thinking the same thing, but he wrote some notes for Kennedy as he rode downtown on the press bus. He noticed, everyone noticed, that the police escort dropped off as they entered the black neighborhood. The motorcade shattered in the traffic near the rally. The press bus cut off from the candidate's car. By the time the bus arrived, Kennedy was on stage, beginning to speak, and Mankiewicz had no chance to give the senator his notes. Adam Walensky, Kennedy's young speechwriter, had preceded the campaign staff to Indianapolis and was having dinner downtown when he heard that King had been shot. He immediately started drafting remarks for Kennedy on a yellow legal pad, then jumped in a car and headed for the rally. The police had already set up blockades, and Walensky's car was stopped as he entered the black neighborhood. You can't go in there, the cop said. Walensky asked why not. Because we can't protect you in there, the cop replied. We're not going in there tonight. Hey, it's okay. I'm with Senator Kennedy. He's in there. I'm going in. Walensky said, and the policeman gave him a be-my-guest-but-you're-nuts look. Walensky arrived at about the same moment as Kennedy. He noticed from a distance that Kennedy wasn't moving side to side 
working the crowd as he normally did. He was plowing straight ahead, head down. Senator, Walensky shouted, and pulled the notes from his pocket. Kennedy, who was wearing a dark blue raincoat, gave Walensky a grim look and a quick curt hand signal. No, he wouldn't be needing any words that night. Walensky saw Kennedy pull some notes from his pocket, which he'd probably scribbled in the car on the way in from the airport. Mankiewicz, in the back of the crowd, saw Kennedy up on the podium and wondered if Bobby could keep it all together, keep his composure, say the right thing and calm the crowd, which still, remarkably, wasn't aware of King's death. And then, for the next four minutes and 57 seconds, Robert Kennedy spoke. Ladies and gentlemen, he began rather formally, respectfully, I'm only going to speak to you for one or two minutes tonight because I have sad news. His voice caught, and he turned it into a slight cough, a throat clearing. The crowd hadn't quite settled in yet. His supporters were still waving signs. He couldn't go on if they were celebrating. Could you lower those signs over there, he asked, and the crowd quieted. I have sad news for you, for all of our fellow citizens and for people who love peace all over the world. He paused, his voice still uncertain, then gathered himself up and said, and that is that Martin Luther King was shot and killed tonight in Memphis, Tennessee. There were screams, wailing, just the rawest, most visceral sounds of pain that human voices can summon. As the screams died, Kennedy resumed, slowly, pausing frequently, measuring his words. Martin Luther King dedicated his life to love and to justice between fellow human beings, and he died in the cause of that effort. There was total silence now. Rather than exploding, rather than indulging their anger, the crowd was rapt. One senses, listening to the tape years later, a trust and respect for the man at the podium, a man who knew all about assassinations, as well as a yearning to be reassured, to be comforted. In this difficult day, in this difficult time for the United States, it is perhaps well to ask what kind of nation we are and what direction we want to move in. For those of you who are black, considering the evidence, he stumbled here. Evidently, there were white people who were responsible. A shudder went through the crowd at the powerful, unadorned word, responsible. You can be filled with bitterness, with hatred, and a desire for revenge. We can move in that direction as a country, in great polarization, black people amongst blacks, and white amongst whites, filled with hatred toward one another. Or we can make an effort, as Martin Luther King did, to understand and comprehend. He paused, perhaps considering whether or not to take the next step, whether to lay himself bare before that crowd. The next few phrases seemed to be placeholding, preparation, as he gathered himself emotionally and to replace the stain of bloodshed that has spread across our land with an effort to understand with compassion 
and love. Then he plunged ahead. For those of you who are black and are tempted to be filled with hatred and distrust of the injustice of such an act against all white people, he paused again, I can only say that I feel... His voice broke. In my own heart, the same kind of feeling. I had a member of my family killed, but he was killed by a white man. Walensky's head snapped up. He'd been working for Kennedy for five years and had never heard him speak before, publicly or even privately, of the death of his brother. It was just too painful. A place Kennedy would not go. A topic skidded away from whenever anyone came close to raising it. No one who knew him ever spoke of it in his presence, and yet here he was, tentatively. He still could not say the words, my brother. It was a member of my family. And somewhat confusedly, why did the race of his brother's assassin matter? Stripping himself before strangers, evaporating the distance between himself and the crowd. They were suffering together now. You could hear it in the quality of the silence, which seemed a conscious cooperative thing, a group achievement. We have to make an effort in the United States. We have to make an effort to understand, to get beyond these rather difficult times. And now he drew them closer still. My favorite poem, favorite poet, was Aeschylus. He once wrote, Even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the human heart. He paused, still speaking softly, his voice shaking a bit as he caressed every word. Again, the